You walk outside and you start sweating. It's humid. It's kind of gross. But when you travel, there's some things that always happen. Something always happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you. We always forget things. Do you forget things? Are you the forgetful one? Does your dad have to like remember everything? Or your mom has to bring it because you forgot it? Well, we forgot a couple things. For example, we, we show up at the hotel and uh, Alexandra forgot to uh, bring a charging brick for her cord. She had a cord and nothing to plug it in with. That was fun. Um, we forgot that. Um, I also, on like the last day of the trip, forgot to charge my phone at night because that was real smart. And then I basically ran out of battery in the woods driving back trying to find uh, our cabin. So that was fun. I, I forgot some things. The best thing that we forgot though, this is just my favorite thing. Uh, we, went, we went golfing late at night one time because it gets dark at nine o'clock there. So we started golfing at like 6.30. Alexandra, um, <laughs> she, she's, she's responsible for the car, okay? I run in, I, I go to the pro shop, uh, I check in, I pay for all that. I come out and, and like right before we're about to leave, I'm like, hey, do, do you have the keys or do I have the keys? And she's like, I think I, I have the keys, I think. So we, uh, we start to dig through her purse. Alexandra did not have the keys. She left the keys in the car because she trusts people so much. It was awesome. And it was hilarious because I thought, you know what? Should I go back? I'm like, you know what? No. So she just drove the cart back. I just walked like three holes. It was really fun. She drove the cart back and guess what? The keys were right there. It was awesome. And I was actually really excited because I was thinking we we're gonna have to like walk home um, that's a little too far for me to walk home. So that was good. Well, we forgot a lot of things, but one thing we didn't forget that I was thankful we didn't forget was our IDs. Okay. You need to actually f- have your driver's license to fly these days. If you're like an adult with a driver's license, you have to f- have it to fly. Uh, you also need to have your phone or your boarding pass or any of those things. So we didn't forget anything that was that bad, but there are some things that I was thinking, I'm really glad we didn't forget those. Glad I didn't forget my wallet. Glad I didn't forget my phone because if I forgot those things, trip will be over. I would be stuck. I would die in Georgia. I would be never come back. I would just never come back because I'd be stuck. Well, maybe, but maybe not. But there are some things that you can forget that aren't. Other things that if you forgot about some things, that would be a massive, massive problem if you forgot about those things. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Moses is going to say in the book of Deuteronomy, there's something that you need to remember. One very important thing. And if you forget about this one important thing, you will be in massive trouble. So let's check out what that is in the book of Deuteronomy. So everybody grab a Bible, turn on open to the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse one. We're gonna check this out. We actually, last time we were studying Deuteronomy, we're not even in this building. We were in 120 West, we were across the street. And when we were in there, we actually studied two chapters, if you remember that. We studied Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 9. In those two chapters, Moses was telling these Israelites as they're leaving Egypt, they're going through the wilderness and about to enter the promised land. Right when that happens, Moses has some instructions for them, actually warnings for them. And the warnings last time were, make sure that when you go into the land, that you don't get prideful, that you don't start thinking that you got everything that God gave you because you deserve it. And we said, that's an important thing for us to remember too, that we're not God's people because we deserve it or we earned it or did anything like that. What we're gonna talk about today is something that Moses says over and over again, remember. And if you've got a Bible that's yours and you like to write in your Bible, I'd love for you to like circle the board, remember every time you see it in our text. If you've got your Bible, if, you're, if you've got your like phone, don't write on your phone because that'd be weird. But Check out the word remember, because it's going to show up a bunch. So let's see what he says for us to remember. He says this in Deuteronomy 8.1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. That's basically everything we've studied in the book of Deuteronomy. That's like a summary statement right there. Make sure you keep God's commandments 
and make sure that when you do that, you go into the land and God will bless you. Verse two, and you shall remember. See that word remember? What is he gonna tell these people to remember? Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He basically says, you need to remember your history. Remember your history. And for these people, they probably were born in the wilderness or grew up in the wilderness because they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. Imagine being on a camping trip for 40 years. Think about that. 40 years. I can't do four days of camping. I think it's too long and the ground is too hard and sleeping bags are too uncomfortable for four days, right? I just can't do it. Maybe you can. But imagine living at a, as a campground, moving around for 40 years. That is what's been happening. And because of that, these people were born on the campsite. They were born in this state of camping with their nation. And he says, for the last 40 years, God has led us, but here's what he's been doing. Look at the middle of verse two. It's what I got up to. He says, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. God was doing something to you guys on the way. He was humbling you. What else was he doing? He was testing to know what was in your heart. Not that God didn't know what was in their heart, but here's what God was doing through that hard time. He was bringing to the forefront what was going on inside their hearts. Do you love me? Are you keeping my commandments? Are you gonna follow me? All the hard times that God put these people through was exposing that to everybody. He says, remember, to show what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse three, and he humbled you and he let you hunger. And then he fed you with manna. Two interesting things there. It says that God let these people get hungry. He drove them out to a place where there was no food. And that sounds really mean at the, at the beginning. But the reality was he did that because he had a plan. He wanted the people to know this, that he was going to be the one to provide for them. He wanted the Israelites to know, I am the God that, that you serve. And also, I'm the God that's going to provide everything for you, including your food. And if you know the story, here's what happened. Basically, they had this food. It was manna from heaven. It was literally bread rained down from heaven. And they had to collect this like wafer type bread from their front lawns every single day to have their food. That's what they ate for 40 years. And he says, the reason for that was God was trying to show you something. God was showing you that I'm God and you need me. He was showing us, you need me. Look at the next verse. He says, he did this to show you that man, this is the middle of verse three, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, showing that they need him. Verse four was even more than that. Your clothing, the clothes that they had, they did not wear out and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Imagine having clothes that you wore for 40 years. What happens to clothes after like one day? They get smelly. Then after one week, they get really smelly. And then after a month, hopefully you've washed them by then. They're starting to fade after a year. How about two years, right? How many of you have clothes that you've had for like more than two years? Basically just the leaders, okay? Um, maybe some of you students, right? But your, your jeans, how, how fast does it take for your jeans to wear out, right? Two, three, four, five years. Although some of you don't wash your pants. So maybe some, some uh, that's never mind. Um, we won't get into that. <laughs> Maybe they'll last a little longer if you don't. But think about it. Your clothes wear out. It says for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes, you know how your sneakers wear out on the bottom, right? When you're skateboarding or you're running around or you're sliding or playing spike ball or whatever or basketball, the bottoms of your shoes end up wearing out. If you have like bands or sneakers or something like that, they always wear out, right? It says their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Why? God was keeping them in this miraculous way from experiencing some of those things because he was protecting them. He wanted to show them that he cared for them. Verse number five, know then in your heart 
that as a man disciplines his son, that the Lord your God disciplines you, so that you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Because here's the thing. They were in a wilderness for a long time, hard time. He says, I'm about to lead you into the place that is so good like you've never seen before. Imagine going camping for 40 years and then showing up to Hawaii, okay? Where everything's like perfect and the weather's perfect and everything's good and there's tons of rain and all this stuff and you got all this food and it's amazing. That would be a huge contrast from living out in the desert to living in Hawaii. You would feel like that's a big, big shift, right? Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying, in the wilderness, you needed me. Here's the thing. You're going to go into the land that's really good. Here's the thing. You still need me. It's going to feel like you don't need me because you have everything you need, but just know I'm the one that's giving that to you. I'm the one that's providing it for you. Look what it says in verse eight. It says, it's a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, and a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity. You'll have so much food in which you'll lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and whose hills you can dig out copper and you shall eat and be full. And this is the most important thing so far. And you shall bless the Lord your God. When you're full and you've got everything you want after spending 40 years in the wilderness, now you're in the good land. Here's what you need to do. You need to be thankful. You need to be thankful. Why? Because God gave those good things to you. It says, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Look at verse number 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, because that's the problem. When you get a bunch of good things, what's the first thing that we forget? We forget who gave it to us. We forget that God's the one that provided it for us. That was true then, it's true now. You got something on the top of your, your paper here. I want you to see something, because what he just showed was if you remember the past and remember what God has done, he's going to lead you in a, in a path, and it goes on a path. And the first thing I want you to write down at the top of your page, you got those two lines First thing I want you to write down is, here's what happens when you remember God, okay? When you remember God, here's what happens. You got a line after that. Look at this. Here's the first thing you do. You're thankful. You have thankfulness. If you remember God, you're thankful, you obey, and you get blessings. So check this out on the screen. I'd love for you to write that down on those lines at the top. If you remember God, what happens next? If you remember that God has done good things for you, you're thankful, which is what it says here, and then you're going to obey God because you're in the right mindset of being thankful to God. You're going to want to listen to him. You're going to obey him. That's great. And then guess what? You're going to experience God's blessing that he wants to give you. Okay. What happens if you don't remember? What happens if you forget? Because verse 11 just said, be careful because you're going to be tempted to forget God. When you have everything that you want, you're going to be tempted to forget what God has done for you. Verse 11 says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. It's funny, what he says is, once you forget God, what you're gonna do is you're gonna start to disobey God. Look what he says in verse 12. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when you have herds and flocks that multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. You'll become proud. And here's what's gonna happen to them. You will forget the Lord your God when you have everything you want. So be careful, because this God, remember who he was, he brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. He literally provided miraculous bread, miraculous water, miraculous meat, and he did it all for them. And he says, don't forget that God did that for you. Don't forget it. It says in verse number 16, he fed you in the wilderness 
with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you to test you, to do you good in the end. God was giving you that discipline so that you would turn out as obedient people in the end. Verse 17, beware, be careful, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to gain wealth, and he, that he might confirm his covenant, his promise that he made to you, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord, verse 19 might be the most important verse we've seen so far. And if you forget the Lord, here's what's going to happen. If you forget the Lord and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Verse 20, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, all these Canaanite evil people that God's going to drive out of the land because of their sinfulness. It says, if you become like them, I'm going to treat you like them. If you become like the world, I'm going to treat you like I'm going to treat these worldly people so that you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The second line I want you to write down is what happens when we forget God, okay? If we forget God, the first thing that happens is we're not grateful, we're not thankful, then we become proud, then we become worldly, then we experience judgment. I'd love for you to write that down. Uh, You see it on the screen right there. If you forget God, here's what happens first. You start to be not grateful, And really, that's almost a lack of a thing. If you forget God, you just forget to thank him. Maybe that's where a lot of us are right now. We know that God's real. We know that God has given us good things, but we just don't thank him. We're ungrateful. Some ingratitude. That leads to pride. That leads to us thinking that we earned this on our own. That leads to us thinking that we deserve all the the, the good gifts that God has given us. That leads us to think that. Then that leads us into all the sin that all these other people in the world are doing. Just like it says in verse 19, it says, if you act like these Canaanite people who are evil, if you act like the worldly people out there, God's going to treat you like the worldly people. He's going to judge you. Now, it says, don't forget God. That's basically the moral of the story here. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget who he is. Don't forget anything about him. Remember the Lord, remember what he's done, remember his goodness, remember how he treated the people in the wilderness because that's the only way that you're gonna stay on that good path right there of thankfulness, obedience, and blessing. If you forget God, notice how you've got two paths. Those all lead to each other. If you forget God, ingratitude, pride, worldliness, judgment. Now, three things here, three points that I want you to write down. The first one's this. Really, we we get it from this lesson that we learned in the wilderness that God was trying to humble the people. Point number one, I'd love for you to write this down. Learn humility, learn humility from the lessons in the wilderness. Learn humility from the lessons in the wilderness. What were the lessons that God taught the Israelites in the wilderness? He makes it so clear. He led them into the wilderness where they had nothing. And when they had nothing, guess who they were asking for food? Guess who they were asking for water? They were asking God for those things. It showed them that we are all reliant on the Lord. And that's what he says in verse three. Deuteronomy 8.3, that's an important one. You might even recognize it. You might even know it. It's that verse that Jesus quotes. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the father, which sounds interesting because you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, we do not live by bread alone because we're gluten-free. Or maybe uh, we live on some dairy and some yogurt and some, you know, those, whatever you buy at Trader Joe's, it's gluten-free, you know, whatever that stuff is, the fake gluten. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we don't live by bread alone. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about a diet. What he's talking about is this. It's not that we only live by our food, okay? I know we need food. We all need food, but here's the thing. More than you need food, you need God. You need God more than food, because guess what? For these Israelites, how did they get their food in the wilderness? Literally straight from God. 
right? They got it through manna, through the water from the rock. Here's what God was trying to show them. That's how it works all the time, even though you don't think it. Even though you think you get your water from the tap and from the water bottles, and you think that you get your food from the grocery store, ultimately, God is the source of all of it. Even if it doesn't feel direct, it feels indirect for us in the sense that it's like, well, yeah, I guess we do get our food from God because God made the animals and the, and the farmers and the, I don't even know how all the food works. And then the grocery store, boom, my mom gets it and makes it and boom, okay, I eat. Yeah, so I guess I get it indirectly. But here's the thing. You are in a situation that's very similar to the Israelites. Here's why. Because this generation was about to pass away. They're gonna, they were going to die. And then there was going to be a whole new generation of Israelites who grew up in the land with all the good stuff. And this command was for them. You need to remember that before you had a great time where you had everything you needed, there was a time when God brought your forefathers in here through nothing, through the wilderness. You need to remember that everything you have comes from God, which is important for, for you and I to remember too, that everything you have comes from God. Every good thing, every bad thing, every drink of water, every breath of air, every bite of food, all of it comes from God. Have you ever thought about that? I know that's a big truth, but think about that every day. The air that you breathe around, God gave it to you. The ability that you have for your body to process food, whether you can process all the foods or just some of them, okay? God gave you that ability. That is a gift. The fact that you can have friends and family and, and most of you got parents in your life, that's a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it feels like you have everything you want. Because that's the situation that these Israelites were about to step into. They had nothing, then they had everything. But the truth in all of it was God was the one who was giving them all of that. The thing that we need to do is learn from their good and bad lessons. And I think the bad lesson is they didn't always remember that when they were in the wilderness. In fact, the New Testament says that you and I, Christians, are supposed to remember and learn from the bad example of the people in the Old Testament. The verse I'm thinking of is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. I'd love for you to write that down. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says this, that these things took place, talking about the wilderness, the water from the rock, the manna, all that stuff. These things took place as examples for us. What happened in the Old Testament was an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did, okay? So here's a lesson for you. What happened back then, God says, although it was true history fact, it also happened for your benefit. It happened so that you would not desire the evil that they desire. Verse nine of that passage, this is 1 Corinthians 10, nine. It says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Some of them were killed by snakes. It says, don't grumble either as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. They got destroyed because they complained. Have you ever thought about that? People in the Old Testament, people in that wilderness time, why did they not go into the promised land? Because one, they didn't trust God, and two, because they complained. How often do we complain? How often do we complain about our school, about our family, about what we have or don't have, about what we have isn't what we want, or we want more of the things that we do have? How often do we complain? It says these people were destroyed because of that. Don't desire evil like them because they were destroyed because of their complaining. Verse 11 says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Then the next verse says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you look at that and say, oh, I wouldn't do any of those bad things. 
I would not do any of those bad sins. I wouldn't desire evil. I'm a Christian. I do all the right things. This is what the Bible says to you. If you think you stand, if you think you're a tough guy, if you think you're strong, if you think you won't be tempted by these things, take heed lest you fall because you're in danger if you think you're not in danger. There are times where we can learn from other people's bad example. Um, it's been well documented that in my family, there's a bad child. You know, do you have a bad child in your family? It's been well documented. The reason I say that is I'm not telling you anything that's a secret. Um, there was a child in my family that was bad. Um, his name's Matthew, okay? He's my older brother. Yeah, I like you. He's a lot like you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I don't know. Anyway, Matthew got in trouble all the time. Here's the thing. He's a year and a half older than me. He's not a bad guy. He's fine. Um, but he got in trouble all the time when I was little. And I remember we had a thing um, like a, 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 where we kept track of how much discipline we got, and it would be tallies for how much discipline we earned. And there were days like he'd just fill up the whiteboard, man. It was just one after the other after the other. And I was so terrified. Not of Matthew. I was terrified of my dad, okay? Still am. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But I was terrified. And here's what I was thinking. If I do anything that he does, I'm going to get the same discipline. And I saw him get disciplined. I saw him get in trouble, all this stuff. And guess what? It made me not want to do what he did so bad. That I was like, I don't want to do anything. Nope, I'm good. I'm good. That's why I was like, I was close to my mom and, and whatever. Anyway, but you've got this stuff that happens in your family, right? You got the, the good kid. He's not really the good kid. He just doesn't get in trouble so much. That was me. Um, that's why everybody thought I was the bad kid. Do you know that? Everybody, you would, do you think I was a bad kid? You might, yeah, see? Yeah, see, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was a good kid. Uh, you th Caleb thinks I was a bad kid. Whatever. Uh, you, well, Matthew does too because I just picked on him because your name is Matthew. Uh, but anyway, I learned from his bad example because he got in trouble all the time. I didn't want to do that. I was like, I want to avoid trouble. Don't punish me, please, please. See, here's the thing. That, that although that's dumb and stuff, it was actually smart because I didn't get in trouble so much. I avoided trouble just because I didn't do what he did. I didn't do the same things he did because I was scared to get in trouble. That's not such a bad thing when it comes to what these Israelites did. We need to learn from their bad example, even though they are so much farther removed and they got into so much more trouble. The thing is we need to learn from their bad example, not to complain, not to grumble, and not to think that we have it all together. And that's the big problem that he warns them about. Don't think that when you enter the land, it's because of all of your good stuff. Don't think that. It's not true. Don't think that everything is going well for you because you deserve it. We have that temptation too. Whether you think about it or not, you are probably very blessed. And if you thought about all the things that God has given you, you'd remember if you made a list tonight of all the good things that God has given you, like parents, like a church, like food, like clothing, all the stuff that he's given you. And even beyond that, even the things that are even more amazing, good friends, good small group, small group leaders at church, whatever it is, if you made a list of all the things that God has given you, I bet you'd be amazed. And one thing that you should do with that list is not just say, wow, I got a lot of stuff. Right? A lot of people do that. You notice that sometimes when people get stuff, they're like, oh, I want to show you my cool thing, my, my cool new phone, my cool new this, my cool new that. Sometimes when you get a lot of money, it's your birthday. It's like, I got, I got $300 for my birthday. I'm awesome. It's like you got $300 for your birthday because people gave you $300 for your birthday. You didn't get any of that. Like you didn't earn any of that. That's the people gave it to you. That's awesome that people were generous, but that wasn't you earning it. Here's the thing. We can get that pride in our heart too. When we see all that God has given us and think, oh yeah, God must love us more than other people because he's given us more amazing things. Here's the thing. Can't view it that way. He warns these Israelites, don't be proud. Instead, back in our passage, look at verse 10. You got Deuteronomy 8 open. Look at Deuteronomy 8.10. I want everybody to check that out. Deuteronomy 8.10. It says, you shall eat and be full, 
Enjoy all the good that God's given you, and you shall bless the Lord. That word bless the Lord means to praise God. It means to thank God. It means to have thankful hearts. It means when you have good things and you think about the good that God's given you, you say this, I'm going to direct the praise for that to God. I'm going to say, God gave that to me. When things go well for me at school, I'm going to say, thank you, God. When things go well at home and I got something that I want, God, thank you for that. Like God's the, the source behind all that. And what that does is, if we're really thankful, if you remember at the top of our page, you guys look at the top of your page real quick. What happens when you remember God and you're thankful? You start to obey more. What happens when you forget God and you're ungrateful? What does that lead to? What's that word that after is ingratitude? What's that word? Shout it out to me. Pride, Pride right? Pride. That's what it leads to when we're not thankful. So I'd love for you to write this down for point number two. Learn from the Israelites. Avoid pride by directing praise to God. Avoid the pride by directing praise to God. If you say, well, I don't want to forget about God. I don't want, to, I don't want the, the judgment and the worldliness. I, I want to avoid all that. I want to be on the right track. Well, first step in that is by thanking God because that will keep you from the pride. If you're constantly telling God, thank you for doing good to me. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Guess what you don't have time to say? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. You don't have time for that. Because when good things happen to you, or, or rather maybe let's say you earn something awesome, you do well at school, you do well in sports, instead of keeping that glory or that praise or that blessing for yourself, when you turn and say, thank you, God, for that, God, you gave me that, what does that do? That immediately takes you out of the picture. That immediately says, oh, I guess, well, I guess I'm not that great then. If it's God's fault for all that good stuff he's given you. Okay? Exactly. That's the point. That's what he wants these Israelites to do. That's what I want us to do. If we're constantly thanking God, we also won't forget about God. Remember how he says, remember what happened? Remember how God has given you everything that you have? Don't forget about God. Don't start thinking you earned it. Another passage I want you to turn to. Grab your Bible. Turn to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm 50. That's in the middle of your Bibles. I want you to see this. Psalm 50. He says to these people in this song, talking about sacrifices, which sounds weird, sounds awkward, but some of these people thought that they were earning God's favor by giving him a bunch of sacrifices. And God says, look, I, I don't really need your sacrifices. I actually don't really need anything. Look at Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. It should be right about in the middle of your Bibles. It looks like it's in the middle of mine right there. It's like, it's like my balance there. Look at this. Look at this. It's like right in the middle. I don't know if it's right in the middle, but it's close. Psalm chapter 50. Check this out. Look at verse 10. It says, for every beast of the field, every beast of the forest is mine. Every animal on the planet, guess who that all belongs to? God says it belongs to me. It says the cattle on a thousand hills. You could extend that to every hill. The cattle on a thousand hills, that's all mine. God says, I know the birds of the hills and everything that moves into the field. All of that stuff belongs to me. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. God says this to, to us. If, if God was hungry and he needed something, he wouldn't ask us. For the world and its fullness are God's. All of it belongs to God. He says, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Like, no, I don't eat your food. That's not what these sacrifices were about. Look at verse 14. It says, this is what God wants from us. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what God wants from you. That's what God wants. He wants you to be more thankful than you are. Have you thought about that? God wants your heart to be thankful for all the good that he's given you. Because God knows all the good that he's given us. He keeps track. Be helpful for us to keep track and give God the glory for the good things that he's given us. Offer to God a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high 
and call upon me. He starts to talk about, he starts to talk about God from the first person here. And call upon me, call upon the Lord in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. If we're going to avoid that pride of those people who thought that they deserved everything, the first step is thanking God. What do you think? When's the last time I really thanked God for something? Not something small, not just for the food I have, but when, when's the last time I, I started thinking about all the things that God has given me and thanked him for? I, I want us to start thinking through that. Because a lot of times we complain, and the reason we complain is because there's something we want that we don't have, right? We complain because we want something, we don't have it. Well, you know what you cannot do at the same time as complaining? You can't be thankful and complain at the same time. You can't be thankful and complain at the same time. If you're thankful for what you have, you can't complain at the same time. But what happens is, if we catalog how many times do we complain versus how many times do we tell God thank you, what are we going to find? What do you think is more? More complaining or more thanking God? Probably for most of us, it's more complaining than thanking God. I just want you to see that's completely backwards. That needs to be flipped on its head. God says, I want you to thank me for what I've done. New Testament says that every good and perfect gift is from God. Okay? James 1 verse 17 says that. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Everything. It's interesting that in the passage we looked at in Deuteronomy 8, he says that if you forget God, you'll be ungrateful. Okay? And when you're ungrateful, you'll become proud. And then look at, at the top of your page. What happens after you become proud? It says after you forget God and become ungrateful and become proud, what's the next thing that happens to these people? This worldliness. Okay? What are we talking about when we say worldliness? Okay? These Canaanites were worldly. What that means is they followed all their own sin that they wanted to do. They did whatever they wanted to do. Not what God wanted to do, but whatever they wanted to do. Okay. Our world does the same thing. Our world does whatever they want to do. And maybe if you didn't grow up in the church or something and all this is new, maybe that's what you were taught growing up. That what you should do is go follow your heart, chase your dream, do whatever you want to do. Okay. The problem with that is the Bible repeatedly says that what we want and our desires are not all good desires. Maybe you have a good desire to become a doctor or a vet or a lawyer. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is our desires to do evil, our desires to lie, our desires to cheat on tests at school, our desires to be popular and to, to be mean to people in the process, our desires to pursue whatever, whatever lust or whatever thing in the world that we want to go after. He says, no, no, no. Those desires are bad. Don't follow those desires. You need to follow God instead of those desires. What happens is when we're proud, we become worldly. We become worldly, we start worshiping other things. The New Testament actually says that too. It's not just an Old Testament thing that happened a long time ago when they're bowing down to statues. Here's what Romans chapter one, verse 21 says. It says, for although those people, he's talking about people who heard something about God, but didn't honor God. He says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's Romans 1, 21. I don't do, commit a lot of big sins, but if I also ask you the question, well, what does your thankfulness to God look like? Are you thankful to God? How often do you thank God for things? Every day? 10 times a day? Seven times a day? Oh, no, I don't do that. Okay, well, I'd say, then you're on a path to not following God. Starts out with not thanking God. That leads to bad things. Although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. That's a danger for people who know something about God. It was a danger for these Israelites. Back in Deuteronomy 8, he says, look, if you know these good things that I've told you to do and you don't do them and you forget the Lord, you grow up, you live your life, you forget God, 
and you act like the world, the problem is God's going to treat you like the world. He says to these Israelites, if you act like the Canaanites, these bad nations, I'm going to treat you like the bad nations. Same thing's true for you. Just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean that God's going to protect you if you choose to do sinful things. If you choose to go your own way, God says, great, you made your choice. You can go your own way. Do your own thing, but then I'm going to treat you like that. I'm not going to treat you like one of my people if you go your own way and you do your own thing. Point number three, I'd love you to write this down. Fear the consequences. I want you to truly be afraid of the consequences of forgetting God. Fear the consequences of forgetting God. If you act like the world, God will treat you like the world. I want you to think for a second, what ways are you tempted to be like the world? Don't think about anybody else. Don't think about other people in your life that you think are more worldly or sinful. Think about you. What ways am I tempted to be like the world? What words am I tempted to say that would make me fit in with the world, but God would say, don't say that? What things could I do at school or with friends that that are non-Christians that would get me more popular, but God would say, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. What kind of gossip or slander could you partake in that might make you more popular with some people, but you know God would say that's not okay? What music could you listen to that would probably lead you to more worldliness that you might want to do, but you know God probably wouldn't want you to do that? What kind of movies would lead you to that? What kind of friends in your life right now will lead you away from God, and what kind of friends will lead you towards God? I want you to think about that. In what ways are you tempted to be worldly? For these Israelites, it was a lot of different things. For you, it's a lot of different things. For me, it's a lot of different things. But I want you to think about those things. And while you're thinking about those things, I want you to think about this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Author of Hebrews says, we need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. He's talking to a group of people. Some of them are Christians, some of them aren't. Kind of like this room. Kind of like the church. Every church is full of people who are Christians and People who are not Christians. What he says is, we need to pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it, which is exactly what happens with forgetting God. It's not all at once. It's not a complete rejection. It's just forgetting. It's a drift. Forgetting, ingratitude, pride, all that stuff. It's a drift. It doesn't happen all at once. That's why when people grow up and leave the church, it doesn't always happen all at once. It happens a little bit in high school, a little bit in college, a little bit after, then you never see them again. Because of this drift of forgetting God, ingratitude, pride, and all the rest. Pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Then he references the Old Testament. He references Deuteronomy. Hebrews 2.2 says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, this law, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? Here in the New Testament, after Jesus' time, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to, to us by those who heard. He's saying this. In the Old Testament, when people rejected God's word, guess what happened to them? Right? They got the judgment, right? God kept his promises. Right? Well, what's going to happen here after the New Testament to those of us who heard the truth, specifically the salvation that Jesus offers, and we say, nope, I don't want to hear it. I know Jesus says to follow me. I know Jesus says to repent of your sins. I know he says all that and to trust me for life, but I don't want to do that because I want to live my worldly life. If they didn't escape in the Old Testament, why do we think we will escape now? He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
And I think this is an important text for you to hear as you think about those worldly things that we talked about earlier, what ways you tempted to be worldly. Now think of this, okay? If you neglect such a great salvation, do you think you're going to escape? Think God's not going to hold you accountable for that? God will absolutely hold you accountable for that. I know we talk about the gospel a lot of times at church, but I just want you to think about the, the gospel of Jesus, that he offers life to you. He offers life. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go through some process. You just have to turn from your sins and trust in him, and he will forgive you, and he will make you a Christian. That's how it works. You don't do things to become a Christian. God makes you a Christian. It happens all in a moment when you ask and trust. Okay, now thinking of that and knowing that you have the opportunity to be forgiven, if you neglect that and say, I don't want to have any part of that because I don't want to be labeled as a Christian. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I don't want my friends at school to think I'm weird or bad. Okay, how are you going to escape then? You have had the blessing of knowing the truth, some of you from a really young age, and for some of you just for the last couple months or so. You've been hearing the truth. Maybe you're, you're new to church altogether. Maybe this is the first time. But the reality is you've been exposed to the truth. Now, the thing is, how are you thinking you're going to escape if you don't respond in faith? The answer is you can't. You have to turn to God. You have to trust in him. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, though. I, I follow God. Okay, well, the New Testament has a lot to say to you about this, too. I want you to turn to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're near the end of our Bibles here. Ephesians chapter 5. This is not a message now for, for non-Christians. Now, now he's talking to people who are real Christians. He's talking to people who've repented of their sins and trust in Jesus. Here's what he says to them. It's a lot of the same message, really. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4 is where we can start. Ephesians 5, 4, he says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Interesting. Let's replace that bad stuff, that bad language, those crude jokes. Replace all that with thanksgiving. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetousness, which means that you want something you don't have. You look at those girls or those guys and what they have, and you think, I want that, but I don't have that. That's called coveting. This is the covetous. This is which, by the way, if you're covetous, says that, that is an idolater. Okay, that's what we are. If we're coveting what other people have, Paul says, that makes you an idolater. What does that mean? You're worshiping an idol. You're putting that thing that you're coveting and you're, you're knocking God off his place and saying, that's the thing I want. Saying, that thing that I want that I'm coveting, that's my God right now. He says, the covetous, that is an idolater. Those people who are constantly in that, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. He says, people will try to trick you about this. But he says, don't be deceived. For because of these things, the sexual impurity, the covetousness, the idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says to a group of Christians, look, if you're tempted to join the world in all their sin, here's what you need to remember. God's wrath is coming on them for those things. So if they're going to be judged for those things, what are, you, what are you doing trying to get close to them? What are, you, what are you doing trying to get in with all their sin? 
That's like the, that doesn't make any sense. So if it's, if it's gonna rain over there, why are you walking into the, the rain? Like you're in safety right now. Don't, don't walk into that. Verse seven, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Just walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, which should be relatively simple if we understand what we just said right here, that we want to avoid those sins and do the right thing. You might say, okay, I think I'm a follower of Christ. Okay, great. If you're a follower of Christ, same thing for point number three. Fear the consequences of forgetting God. Don't do the stuff that God's going to come to this world and judge it for. Don't do those things. Don't partake in them. Avoid them. When we were traveling this week, we, um, we stayed in a, a log cabin in the woods. Actually kind of scary a little bit. Got very dark at night, obviously. And um, our cabin had a name to it. It's called the Bear's Den. There's a reason for that. And all the stuff in the house is all like decorated with bear stuff. It was kind of weird. Um, the reason for it, the homeowners told us, uh, okay, there's a reason this is called the Bear's Den because bears constantly attack this house. If for some reason, the geography of all of it, where the bears are, always coming after this house. So we named it the Bear's Den. It's really cool. We're like, okay, uh, we still want to stay here? It's, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Here's the one thing you can't do, though. Um, don't leave any trash outside because they can smell it up to five miles away. And they love attacking the bear's den for some reason. I don't know why. No bears attacked us, okay? I don't know if you're waiting for that part. You're waiting for that part, weren't you? No bears attacked us. But here's the thing. Uh, we did a pretty good job of never leaving any trash outside. We ate outside a little bit. We are like, pick up all the trash, right? You know when I say pick up the trash at TNN and you're like, yeah, okay, okay. No, if bears are gonna attack your house in the middle of the night because you had trash, you'd make sure I'm not leaving any trash. It was, it was gonna attract all the bears. If we left anything out, and I'm, I'm like, no, really a little bit? They're like, yeah, even if you leave a little bit, like there are granola bars and little things like that. If you leave a little bit out, they'll smell it. Even if you leave a little out on the patio, they will just smell it and they will come and they'll, they'll try to get more. They'll try to take this house and they'll, they'll claw at it and they'll eat whatever they can find. One morning, Alexander made bacon. We're like, let's clear the house out. Like, let's get all the smoke out of the house because the bears are gonna come attack our house. Because if we left a little bit out, even just a little bit, it put us in danger. Even a little bit, these bears would have come and attacked us. If we leave a little bit of sin, just a little bit of sin on our lives, and we say, oh, I don't want to repent of all of it. Just, I want to leave a little bit. I want to keep saying those bad words. I want to keep looking at those bad things. I want to keep with this bad crowd. Just a little bit, though. We're inviting danger because we start to slide down the slope of forgetting God, ingratitude, pride, worldliness, judgment. I don't want you to face that. I want you to be the people who remember God. And when you remember God, I want you to be thankful, like we talked about at the beginning. When you're thankful, that's going to lead you to say, I'm going to do whatever God says. And that leads to so much blessing. We need to keep sin off of our patios because it's inviting something really bad. So what's the most important thing to remember? God. That's basically it. Remember God. Don't forget him. Let's pray, and we'll talk about this in small groups a little bit more. Let's pray.
God, please help us remember you. Remember what you did in the wilderness with these Israelites and how you fed them and took care of them. I pray that we would remember you in all circumstances. Pray that when we're tempted to be worldly and to enjoy the things that the world has to offer that we know are sinful, I pray that when that happens, I pray that we'd remember what we talked about tonight. We'd remember the discipline in which you instructed these Israelites and that we do the best we can to avoid it. Pray for those of us who know the true gospel, know that we need to be forgiven and saved. Some of us here who know we need to repent but have not repented. Pray that we'd remember Hebrews 2, that how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You've offered us a way of escape through Jesus Christ from any judgment for any of our sin. Pray that we'd avoid sin at all costs, that you'd lead some of us to turn to you for the first time in repentance and in faith in, in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that way of escape, and we pray that every single person in this room would escape the judgment, and they would follow Christ for the rest of their life. So please help us with that. Keep showing us more of who you are tonight in small groups. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.